This week on Life and Faith. This is something we've been doing for a long time in in The Chaser and sometimes horrifically wrong, but humour is a coping mechanism. Humour in the public space used to be something that a very small number of people got to do. But now on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, anyone can come up with something funny and it gets shared around and we call them memes, you know. And the memes this year, there were so many just hilarious things people were saying and thinking and ways of coping and so on. And so I I think humour is a salve in, in dark times and particularly when you're all experiencing something that makes it funny there's such opportunity for humor when things are bad you couldn't have paid me a million dollars a year to do something different why does consciousness exist in the first place forgiveness and reconciliation takes strength it was a bit of a culture shock when i hit sydney we hope the truth will out This is Life and Faith from CPX. I'm Simon Smart, and this is our first episode for 2021. So, Happy New Year, even though it is February. But it's great to be with you for another year of Life and Faith and conversations about the things that matter. And as usual, we'll have some fascinating guests and topics to discuss. To kick us off, we're casting our minds back to 2020. Now, I know many of you might just want to forget it and move on. But it was such a monumental year in so many ways. We thought it would be fun to have a more light-hearted look back by talking to Dom Knight about his book, The 2020 Dictionary. Now, there were so many terms and ideas and events that came to us for the first time in 2020, and we all got very sick of the word unprecedented. And Dom Knight has given us a fun treatment of all of this. As you'd expect from someone from the Chaser comedy group, Dom was an original member and writer. There is a lot of silliness here, but as Dom explains, good comedy makes us laugh, but sometimes makes a serious point as well. And he certainly does that. Dom Knight is a novelist, comedy writer and radio host. It was great to talk to him about the year we've all just endured. Dom, great to talk to you. Now, you've written the Dictionary of 2020. It's full of horrors. At what point (laughs) last year... Did you think, I've got enough material to work with here? I'm imagining it was pretty early on in the year, right? I only really thought of the idea, I guess, in June or something. And the year before, I'd written a thing called the Australian Dictionary. So that was a kind of Christmas 2019 project. And it was all about Australian slang and the richness of how we talk and what that reveals about us and all that kind of stuff. And so I like the dictionary format um, because it lets you range over a whole huge diversity of subjects. And some of them are short, some of them are long, some of them are biographical, some of them are very nerdy and things that the reader might not have heard of and some are things that we dealt with every day. But it became clear in the first half of last year that a lot of language was coming to the fore that we hadn't heard of before, a lot of technical terms, medical terms about things like flattening the curve, um, social distancing, this new term that uh, we started hearing, um, talking about reproduction rates of viruses and all these things, and we all became fascinated by that because it was governing how we live. The stats on all this were really driving the decision-making and subjecting us to a very unusual way of living that we weren't familiar with. So when all that language came down, I just thought, gosh, this would be an interesting thing for another dictionary. I couldn't work out what uh, subject because I didn't want to do a COVID dictionary because I thought no one's going to want to buy that. That's going to be hugely depressing. But then I thought, well, people were starting to say, oh, that's so 2020 or what a 2020 thing for this to all go wrong. And it kind of became the, the kind of Murphy's law, I, I suppose, of, of that period, of, you know, everything being, oh, 
of course 2020 would end with this or whatever. <laughs> and so I thought, well, why not do a 2020 dictionary of this, of this new world that we were living in for a period of time? And um, once I had, the, and I had the concept of having um, the zeros in 2020 being emoji. So there's a, a mask emoji that looks a bit startled on the cover <laughs> and then a toilet roll being yes. the second zero when viewed from the side. Yeah. And so I thought that would be fun too. And you want to think about the cover when you're pitching a book. So, um, yeah, it seemed like a project that would um, have a lot to fit into it. And really, I mean, I could have kept going. Um, it could be twice as long <laughs> really, as lo- if the publisher had been willing. It's really a fun read and, and sort of interesting, especially as you think back over that year and what it was like. I remember being at a New Year's Eve party as we were bringing in the new year of 2020 with a family that had a dreadful 2019 and they were going, yeah, here's the 2020. And you know, who, who could have imagined what awaited them? Um, yeah. Well, I, I spent New Year's Eve of 2019. Um, I spent that entire evening doing an incredibly long shift on the radio doing bushfire coverage <laughs> and um, not, you know, I got home just in time to, to kiss my wife and then go, yeah, okay. Happy new year. And I was just absolutely exhausted from, reading where the fires were going and knowing that there was more of that ahead of me. And so I thought, okay, this is terrible. This is really bad. It'll be better once this is all over, once the fires finish. Yeah. You know, it'll be a new year, fresh start. We'll get out of this period of disaster. I couldn't imagine that something far more serious and, and global in its impact would follow soon afterwards. Who knew? Well, no I, one knew. I was, as I was going through the book, I was sort of reminded of all these things that you kind of forget about. I mean, the fires seemed like a mm. decade ago, but you're obviously, yeah, you had a, you saw it as your job to remind us of just how terrible things had been, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it was a, an attempt to capture 2020 and all of its misery and horror. And uh, also the brief of everything that happened in 2020 meant that there were all kinds of events happening here and there and all the Tesla shenanigans and space exploration and um, there's there's a joke in there about um, how Macedon- the country of Macedonia changed its name to North Macedonia, which I hadn't heard of. But I just thought, <laughs> oh, that'd be interesting to put in because that was such a long-term uh, dispute between Greek Macedonia and right. um, the, the, the sort of Slav country Macedonia. And it struck me as the only example I could think of of actually people cooperating and compromising um, a sort of lost art. So anything that happened this year was was fair game as long as I could think of something to say about it. Speaking of cooperation, we did have at least a period last year of more bipartisanship in politics than we're used to. Were you encouraged by that? Do you think there's any sense of that possibly lasting? Because my sense was that people really actually appreciated that. Oh, absolutely. And um, I mean, I guess this comes down to, and there's an entry on this too, the National Cabinet in many ways. Mm. Um, And the notion that we are one community where one country that needs to work together at times like this and the strange thing about national cabinet which replaced the um commonwealth premiers and i can't remember what it was called but the previous uh the previous meeting that happened is that what a sense of course we should have leaders meeting regularly during a crisis that hadn't happened during the fires and it was a disaster and there was there was blame shifting it's so easy to just go oh it's federal government oh it's the states whereas in fact we don't care on the ground which arm of government it is, just sort it out, keep us safe. And that's such a fundamental part of being in a community. And so National Cabinet, I, I think, was sensible because the the science on this, even though it was in other parts of the world, it shouldn't have been partisan. It should have been a matter of here's the problem, here's what we understand, here's the best advice from our experts, we're going to act on that. And you know what? If they change their mind tomorrow, 
we're going to update the policy settings to keep mm. with that mm. and reacting to what was going on on the ground. And in so many respects, and there's obviously the climate and the fires as part of that, we don't do that. We don't listen to experts. We don't trust people. And instead we attack and we demonise. And, and that's a very unfortunate uh, thing in the public square. And we've been able to see in other countries how that has diverged and gone in another direction to the point where even um, believing election results certified by officials of your same party in the US were seen as an act of, of treachery and, and um, mm. an act of partisanship. So I think we were lucky in Australia that we were able to um, put all that aside and actually work together. I think it, it's actually, it was quite an inspiring thing. When it happened, there was still some blame shifting here and there. Um, Dan Andrews copped it quite a lot during the course of the year for various yeah. reasons, but um, there is hope there of the seeds of, of, a, of a more sensible civil society and polity going forward. We could never have anticipated what this was going to be like. And I wonder if you, as you've sort of reflected on the year that was 2020, is there any sense of the longer term impact? We've talked about bipartisanship, but what about other things mm. that you hope might at least stay with us for a bit? Well, I, mean, I think there's a fundamental problem in how we approach planning in our society. And a lot of this comes down to the way that politics works and the way that we think. Uh, you know, our, our politicians are incentivized in three-year cycles. Yeah. They get no credit for preparing for things years in advance. They only get credit for what happens on their watch. So, I mean, a system whereby your, your protective equipment in the event of a pandemic is largely shipped from China, but the pandemics, certainly in the past couple of decades, have originated from China uh, or from other parts of Asia, that is very foolish when you think about it. The notion that um, we don't have the means to make this stuff ourselves and we may well need it ourselves. And the, the whole notion of global supply chains and of, of all this sort of integrated world that we've fallen into, that really fell apart this year. Mm. Things like respirators, you simply couldn't get. I mean, I remember during the fire crisis, it being almost impossible to buy what's called an N95 mask, the one that completely blocks smoke particles. And I'm an asthmatic. I had a very rough summer. Who knows what's done permanently to my lungs uh, because I couldn't find those masks that actually stop the, the little horrible particles of smoke going into your lungs. And the notion that a country that regularly gets bushfires and has a lot of asthmatics wouldn't have this sorted out and stockpiled was shocking to me. Yeah. Uh, and so what happens is we, we go around and we, we fix the last problem. I'm sure that somewhere in the suburbs, We've set up, you know, factories to manufacture PPE, and I hope that's happening soon. But it, when I think about the fires, um, we had all these experts and, and former fire chiefs saying we're really vulnerable here. If there's a huge summer of bushfires, we're we're screwed. We need um, to have our own, you know, water bombing aircraft. We can't rely on them being shipped in for each summer as we have been. We need better coordination between the states and the federal government. This was all said, but ignored because. The government didn't want to spend money on it. So now they've spent money on it because obviously they had to, but only after a devastating summer of fires. And the same thing happens to climate. We don't listen to the experts who are telling us that these things are changing and that we need to change how we live and live, tread more lightly on the land to, to try and survive. We just don't listen to that. We don't want to hear it. We ignore these warnings and we suffer. So we need to try and stop thinking about the last crisis and learning how to prevent the thing that we know, you know, just happened and actually listen and trust people who know what's coming. And I just don't think we've made any progress on that front, unfortunately, right. but I wish we would. Mm. I really wish we would. 
I hope so too. I, hope, I love to think you're you're not entirely right there. Like I love to think this has sh- shaken us up enough to have a slightly different <laughs> perspective. But you, you may well be. Well, right. it's it's possible that in the past couple of years we've been through every conceivable crisis <laughs> to an extent where we're now forewarned about almost everything. Maybe that's the case. Um, maybe the two points of view come together. <laughs> if there's an attack of you know alien spiders or something, we're going to be trouble but um we had some horrifying pictures of insects there in your book oh yeah and there's the murder hornets in the murder hornet that actually made me terrified uh yeah they are scary they can penetrate uh beekeeper suits (laughs) and they can they can knock off an entire beehive i mean they're they're very very unfortunate multiple times yeah thanks yeah we don't want them thanks for bringing us that picture but but it's interesting what you say there because growing up in australia at least in in our generation Major catastrophic wars and events that really disrupt society only ever seem to happen somewhere else. Um, we're just not so used to that. We're, it is a true shock, don't you think, for Australians to face something as serious as this? Well, yes. The the fires particularly. I mean, COVID yes. was everywhere, right? And and we have been both, I think, hugely lucky, but also the beneficiaries of, of sensible policy making. And I actually think that the government handled COVID so well because of the fires and because mm. of the huge political price paid for not listening to experts. So the PM went, you know what, I'm just going to do exactly what they tell me. That way, if it all goes pear-shaped, it's not my fault. I've actually, you know, I've done what I was told. Anyway, um, yes, it, everything happened overseas. And so I remember there was a point um, in the summer of 2019-20 where uh, I think it was Port Macquarie had the worst air quality in the world by a considerable margin. Uh, I think the limit was something like 100 and they had 1,600 or whatever it is, PPI. I can't remember what the um, measurement is. But it was, you know, top of the list, way ahead of places like Delhi or Beijing or anywhere of these places where you think there's bad air. And we just were a global story about this disaster. And that was so strange for us. We were used to just being everything's relaxed and comfortable and fine and there's nothing really wrong. And that wasn't the case. I mean, celebrities in the US were raising money for bushfires here people were concerned all of my friends and relatives overseas were terribly worried about us and what was going on and so yes that was a strange feeling being the country that was doing worst on something but it is a warning we live in a country that is uniquely vulnerable to to climate in various ways it's such a hot dry country Mm. and we need to really think about the way that we live and start looking at um more uh, more sensible uh, ways of things like generating power, the way that we build houses is a big part of the conversation. Mm. How do we live in the bush? Uh, we haven't been doing it well, but there are ways of building a house in the bush so that it's fireproof and sensible and resilient. And this is the way we need to think now. We need to prepare for these crises in the future. Mm. And so I guess the book, not that I was intending to make a serious point, I guess it does chart a crisis and the way that we adapted. Some of it's quite funny how we adapted, but yeah, I, we, we can't imagine that we're immune by, by virtue of, li- of living in lucky Australia anymore. No, it's been a privilege, but it's, it's over. This is Life and Faith, and I'm speaking with Dom Knight about his book, The 2020 Dictionary. We're hoping that this is a catharsis as we gear up for another year a year that none of us are willing to make predictions about. And that was one of the hard lessons of 2020. Dom, the phrase, we're all in this together, seemed sort of encouraging at first, but then when we saw the way it played out so unevenly, 
in 2020. It became a bit galling as well, didn't it? It did. And I mean, in some respects, there's great truth in, in that. We were all in it together in a way that I, I certainly can't remember. I think even in times mm. of world war, um, it wasn't as global as COVID. And we live in such a, uh, I guess, such a connected world now. You know, a disease can spread on international flights within a matter of a, a week or two around the whole world. We didn't really think about that. Uh, and so in that sense, we were all going through this experience. Wherever you were in the world, if you were in rural India, if you were in, in China, if you were in Russia, um, anywhere really, uh, I think North Korea was shut off from it, but even they had cases of COVID in the end. So it just got everywhere. And the lockdowns, the shutdowns, the staying indoors, the social distancing, all that stuff, we were in together in a strange way where we were all experiencing it simultaneously while we couldn't see each other. Mm. You'd call everyone and, and see how they were going, but there was no chance actually of seeing them. So it was almost like being inmates in adjacent cells um, where we couldn't go out, couldn't see, but we knew that everyone was going through the same difficult experience but we weren't all in it together in terms of how it affected us and how it how it endured and I really think we were very fortunate here in how it was handled we, it was brief and except in Melbourne um, you know the fatalities were were less than a normal flu season um, so we were we kind of skated through it to a degree but my wife's family um, live in Chennai in India and so we're having a situation where they had you know neighbors with COVID my Sister-in-law had a uh, the house next door in her apartment building had uh, someone with COVID, and the the kind of body corporate boarded it up, uh, so that, mm. that you know, so it was just everywhere over there. And then when you think about people in um, in slums, and the, I mean, when there was a huge shutdown in India, uh, untold millions of, of workers who travel around the country to find work couldn't get home and were were starving. Um, but of course, if you think of the giant slums in places like Mumbai and indeed in Chennai, mm. the speed at which COVID would rip through a community like that is absolutely horrifying. And even even in the US, um, you know, we, we now know very very well that not only are the elderly um, disproportionately targeted uh, with with COVID, but um, people who are poor, people of colour, um, again disproportionately have to do this stuff. And we've seen this in Australia. Um, I mean, I sat at home and. I'm embarrassed to say now, ordered food. I ordered food deliveries and everyone was getting, you know, people to bring them stuff on bikes. Mm. But that's a horrible way to live. I mean, a lot of delivery drivers have died this year, mm. but that just means that they were vulnerable. They are out there potentially getting COVID and right. we weren't. Um, yeah. So we weren't all in it together. Poverty and disadvantage yes. made Hits this worse people. for everyone. There's almost nothing that isn't worse with poverty and disadvantage. And then you have the celebrities giving us encouragement from their mansions and, you know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> it was a bit of fun yeah. with that, right? I mean, yes, we, we certainly had a bit of fun with that. I do, I do a podcast called The Chase Report and um, yeah. we had a segment for a while where uh, we were playing the sort of Instagram videos and encouraging things that celebrities did and kind of having a laugh about that because they were so insulated from any <laughs> any hardship. I mean, okay, you've got to stay in your mansion and not go out touring, but... They'd film these videos from these gorgeous spaces, you know. <laughs> yes. there, there's something gym. really wrong. <laughs> yeah, really wrong with how we live. And just the way wealth is concentrated is so disturbing. And it, it's not right. It's mm. fundamentally not right. And um, I don't know how we change that. I really, it's mm. beyond my my level of expertise or competency. But there's something really wrong about how privilege and, and wealth are spread around the world. And it, we have to do something about it. Now, you described this as gallows humour, 
it definitely is that. But I wonder about the role of humour in helping us to cope with very serious things. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, this is something we've been doing for a long time in, in The Chaser and sometimes horrifically wrong, but <laughs> humour is a coping mechanism. I mean, I think humour in the public space used to be something that a very small number of people got to do. But now on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, anyone can come up with something funny and it gets shared around and we call them memes, you know. And the, the memes this year, there were so many just hilarious things people were saying and thinking and ways of coping and, and, and so on. And so I, I think humour is a salve in, in dark times and particularly when you're all experiencing something, um, that makes it funny. You know, it, there's such opportunity for humour when things are bad. But also I, I think the best humour has a kernel of truth to it um either it hits on a shared experience or a shared insight and sometimes i think that what you can say in a joke is more earnest and sincere than actually saying the thing mm. particularly in a cynical country like australia and and you know we we're very quick to pull someone uh, you know off their high horse if they seem like they're um, lecturing us but humor allows enormous sincerity and I've always felt the best satire and on occasion the stuff that we've done that's worked well has come from a place of truth and a place of outrage and a place of wanting things to be better than they are. Mm. And so I think there is a role for humour in, in this period and I hope people, I hope the book is is amusing but also we look back on this strange period and how, how much we really suffered and we can smile about it and maybe think, oh gosh, I can't believe there was a time when there was no toilet paper. Mm. Or when the pasta ran out of a supermarket, and there is something funny about a world with no toilet paper. I mean, it, <laughs> that's comedy. I right. have to say it, but it is comedy. Mm. Now there were some strange religious interpretations of what had gone on this year. I wondered what was the wackiest you heard. I mean, you mentioned in the book the Palm Beach County public meeting in Florida, mm. where we heard the claim that because God had brought us into the world not wearing paper masks, it should be illegal to force people to throw God's wonderful breathing system out the door <laughs> by doing this, forgetting that perhaps that would put this breathing system in peril. It's not a, it's not a great theological uh, <laughs> insight during, during a, a respiratory disease pandemic. I, I think. Um, but look, I mean, there's a long history of religion being something that is turned to during crises, both in a, um, a mainstream sense. I mean, I, I know it's been enormously difficult having churches closed this year. Many churches have adapted brilliantly by going to Zoom and um, finding a way to connect and, and bring a community together, even despite all of this. But it's also been the case, and I, I think it was the case even in biblical times, that quackery and hoaxes and you know fake healers mm. abounded and tried to, yep. to make money and, and trick believers and, and and sell these sorts of things so unfortunately this year we've seen a lot of that kind of stuff and i mean not explicitly religion but perhaps in a sort of secular sense pete evans this great lifestyle guru his biocharger that cost twenty thousand dollars or something and <laughs> had recipes to, to fix as he said the wuhan coronavirus i mean that is mm. That is a really dangerous thing. So, of course, when we're scared, we turn to uh, metaphysical things. We we hope that someone can make it better in an almost magical way. It's it's a human instinct that you see throughout history, and that was definitely the case this year. Um, but fortunately, we also have um, science and, and rationality, and that seems to be the thing that's helping us actually come up with things like vaccines. So, fortunately, that wasn't completely obliterated, but... In this, in this era of scepticism and anti-vaxxing and uh, perhaps some of the 
the beliefs going around with that. I don't know how many people are going to actually take this stuff. So mm. belief is a fascinating topic in 2020. We saw all kinds of strange thoughts going around. 5G being invented by Bill Gates as a mind control technique. I mean, mm. Yeah. This is pretty wacky stuff. Starts to make Christian church look sensible and normal. Um, but we <laughs> we sort of resist the dichotomy of science and belief and want to talk about the ways in which belief can add to the richness of life. Um, we were really interested to see that people were praying more, according to surveys, were praying more in mm. this period. I don't find that hard to believe. No, and, and I suppose there's a, that's sort of a, sort of an interesting observation. But I, I wonder whether, in a sort of broad sense, do you think there's a, a lasting reprioritizing of things and perhaps a little more depth of thinking about questions of meaning and existence, which I don't think in Australia we're very good at. I think we have a very superficial mm. kind of, we're very good at distracting ourselves from these sorts of questions. I wonder if you have any sense of that uh, going forward. Well, it's an interesting point. I mean, certainly some of the things I've mentioned already in this discussion about um, the inequality of the world yeah. and our challenges in working together as a community, these are these are certainly matters that religion uh, speaks to right. at its best, I think, right. and that um, provides ways to live that where you're not meant to think about yourself and you're not meant to just look at your own lovely little backyard and the burbs and your barbecue and live in this little bubble. And we don't live in bubbles. I mean... Um, even though the, the bubbles was a great term this year for mm. people who live together or play footy together or, or whatever it is, but we don't live in bubbles and the way that we live does affect others. And so I think we need to to figure out what our values are and, and what we do. And I think in Australia, there's a huge um, gap between our rhetoric and the reality. And I think of that poor old family in Biloela. We've spent apparently $4 million keeping locked up and what that mm. says about us as a country and our priorities. And I mean, my, my um, wife's family are also Tamil. So there's a, a, a commonality there that I, right. that kind of shocks me a bit. Yes. Um, but I, I guess also um, the metaphysical aspects of belief, the notion that there's someone in charge, that uh, there are answers beyond what we can see around us. That is a comforting thing at times and can really help. Um, but then also you start getting into sort of questions of, well, you know, did God decide to give us a pandemic? What was going on there? Mm. That's a that's a tough one. And I'm sure a lot of people have been um, have been thinking about that as well this year. And it's one of the most fascinating questions in Christianity is yeah. why does an all-powerful God let bad things happen? Mm. At what point is that is that sin working in the world? I mean, these are really interesting questions, I think, and particularly when bad things happen on a global scale as they have at the moment. Yeah. We'll have to have a, another whole episode to talk about that one um, <laughs> because it is, it's a, as you say, it's a question that occupies the minds of plenty of believers, perhaps yeah. the most challenging one. And perhaps the, the first very brief thing to say would be that the picture of the world that you absorb from a Christian worldview would at least cohere with your experience of it. So this very fallen, broken, fractured world. But then there's a whole lot of other things to say in response to that. Um, I should also say, I don't think that, and I understand the notion that science and religion are not antithetical at all. I mm -hmm. think that makes sense, that a divine creator would make a world that, that works according to science. That, that's always made a lot of sense to me. You talk about the 2020 summit from 2008. 
in your book. Oh, yes. Which offered up some what now are quite hilarious predictions or at least aspirations for 2020. Now, last year has definitely spoken into the unpredictability of our lives, hasn't it? It's at least shown mm. us that. If we were under any illusion before that our lives were kind of, that we were in control, we have to have lost that by now. That's that's um, a very good point. I mean, you, you you can't even play in an Olympics this year. I mean, it, it just all of the best laid plans. And, uh, you know, I think we do often have the illusion that we can be in control. I'm just watching this wonderful series called Succession about uh, a, a billionaire um, kind of Ruth Murdoch type figure who oh, yeah. just imposes his will on his family and the world and business and gets his way but then at the start the first episode of the series he has a massive brain hemorrhage and a reminder that you you, you can't you mm. can't do that and we we do try to live like that and it is foolish in so many ways you need to be adaptable but also perhaps a bit humble in the in the face of things like a pandemic you know i had many plans for 2020 that didn't come off um and you've got to be thankful for the things you do have really, things like family and community and the things that see us through tough times. Absolutely. And do you dare make any sort of prediction for this year, 2021? I, I don't know whether I'll get to do a 2021 dictionary, but if I do, I'm thinking that the, the one in the year could be a, a needle because I'm hoping this is the year of the vaccination. I'm hoping this is the year where these things work and um, and we're able to, uh, you know, as we've, as we've managed to defeat other great uh, illnesses and pandemics in the past, we can get on top of that stuff. But I actually think there is there are lessons to learn from last year, uh, which are which should be enduring ones. I think staying in touch with your family and your community. Um, I mean, we we had various Zoom get-togethers of people who I wouldn't normally see very much. And I probably talked to my relatives more than um, I did in previous years. And I think that we, we should live with a sense of the, um, I guess, the fragility of everything. Yeah. As a result of 2020, we take the good times for granted, don't want more um, and try and look after each other because who knows, your, your, your neighbour may be the person who you need in the emergency room. They may be the person who's going and fighting the fire. And not that I mean, that's a sort of a selfish suggestion that, you know, it's in your interests to do it. But I don't know, I, I, I think individualism really got a, a massive rebuke in 2020. And I think that so many ways... A, a, a worthwhile lesson for the future. The book cover is designed already for 2021. We've got the needle. It's <laughs> going to be good. But the, the current book, the 2020 dictionary is out. It's packed full of fun and interesting stuff. And it's been lovely to talk to you about it, Dom. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. This has been Life and Faith with me, Simon Smart. Thanks today to Dominic Knight. His book, The 2020 Dictionary, is guaranteed to, with its somewhat dark but beguiling humour, give you a chuckle and a lift as you launch into the unknowns of 2021. We hope you'll take us with you on that journey too, as we aim to be good company along the way. If you enjoyed this episode, please do send it on to someone you think might like it too. And leave us a rating or review. It helps to get the word out onto the street about life and faith. Next week. Is this heaven? No. Is it H-E double hockey sticks? Hell? Hell? No. It's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interest before they go to Earth. 
Don't worry, you can't crush a soul here. That's what life on Earth is for. <laughs> 